0: You're listening to the Sports by Fry podcast. On today's episode, I'm back with another Fantasy Fridays, getting into the swing of things with regular podcast episodes. I Unfortunately, uh, the last one I did talked about the untimely death of Kobe Bryant, but there's plenty to talk about in the sporting world. Fantasy news isn't too pressing right now. Obviously, since I last uh, addressed the fantasy world, the AFL fantasy site has launched, so there's plenty of coaches that are out adjusting their teams, myself included. It's a bit of relevant basketball stuff, not a lot of trade action that we might have uh, thought come to fruition, but a couple of minor moves, and I think there'll still be a few more little tweaks to rosters over the next couple of weeks that we'll look at. And in the NFL, there's a couple of important quarterbacks that I want to talk about in this upcoming draft class. Pretty bite-sized episode today, nothing too huge. So without further ado, let's get started. G'day Sports by Fry fans. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. Hope you're listening to this episode ready for a fantastic weekend. I'm back, like I said, with a fantasy Friday. I'm not going to waste any time. Let's dive right into the NBA first. Uh, A couple of weeks ago when I did my last episode, I released an article talking about how your fantasy team can take advantage of the NBA trade deadline. Of course, For that to happen, there's got to be some NBA trades, which we haven't really got a hell of a lot of lately. Since I last spoke, there were a couple of minor roster moves. We've seen, obviously, Jeff Teagues headed back to Atlanta, Kent Bazemore and Trevor Ariza swapped teams. And interestingly, Willie Cauley-Stein moved from Golden State to Dallas, which from an actual basketball perspective, I think is a pretty good get. For Dallas, but not going to have a huge impact on the fantasy world. In that article that I already talked about, I spoke about how if Kevin Love gets traded, maybe you want to look at adding someone like Larry Nance, who's actually probably not on your waiver wire anymore. He's playing pretty well of late. Maybe a little interest in John Henson, if uh, he gets a couple more minutes. Could be a solid streaming option for some blocks and boards. Kyle Kuzma's another name doing the rounds. Through the rumour mill. Don't think he's going to get traded. The Lakers seem pretty content to maybe uh, have a bit of a play in the buyout market, but otherwise their roster is going to stay pretty pat, I think. Andre Drummond, the buzz around him died pretty quickly, and I can kind of understand why. I mean, there's not a lot of teams out there that want to take him on, especially if he's going to turn down his player option and become a free agent. This offseason, Atlanta was one team and the New York Knicks as well were emerging as potential suitors. But yeah, I don't think Drummond's going to be on the move. So we're in for, again, a pretty lackluster trade period this time around. But if there are some other moves, I'll address them each week on the Fantasy Friday and obviously through other uh, forms of social media, I'll discuss them, but it's important to make sure that you're actively searching the waiver wires for diamonds in the rough. There's uh, one bloke by the name of Victor Oladipo who won't be on your waiver wire anymore. He made his return for the Paces uh, against the Bulls yesterday in the game just gone and looked pretty impressive. He's going to be on a minutes restriction until the All-Star break does rock up in a couple of weeks, but it's going to be interesting to see what kind of an impact Oladipo coming back into the lineup has. On the rest of the paces, I don't think Miles Turner will be dealt, but he might be over the off-season. Oh, sure. Let me say that again. Don't think he'll be dealt before the deadline might be before the off-season, but if you're in potentially deeper leagues and you're clinging on to someone like Jeremy Lamb, maybe even uh, Justin Holliday, there's, those type of wings are going to be the ones that suffers from Oladipo coming back into the lineup. If you were smart and you stashed Oladipo on your bench, or maybe even drafted him and put him in an IR spot, then he could be a huge factor down the rest of the uh, fantasy season. There's probably, depending on your league, about five or six weeks left of the regular season matchups before you launch into the playoffs. So there is still a little bit of time to make some trades and wiggle uh, your roster around. But yeah, Oladipo is someone that's going to be a huge factor towards the end of the fantasy year. Speaking of Oladipo and waiver wire moves, let me quickly go through a couple of dudes you might want to add or drop, depending on where your team is sitting. From an ad perspective, I want to try and weekly, I'm going to talk about a guy who maybe is uh, going to be floating on your waiver wire, depending on the size of your league, and then one dude who has bit of a lower ownership so the first dude I'm looking at is Jeremy Grant from the Denver Nuggets had a pretty impressive uh, last couple of weeks actually his ownership shot up by nearly 30% in all ESPN leagues the small forward power forward eligible dude had six threes in his last game against Memphis had 21 points and he hasn't been shy from uh, shooting the rock he had three threes in Houston previously, had a couple of other high scoring games in the past and in the last fortnight or so, the or last ten days I want to say, the lowest scoring game he's had was when he had fourteen points against New Orleans. But he's still chipping in a handy amount of boards, getting a couple of dimes and steals, and also handily contributing in blocks. So Jeremy Grant is someone who's having a fantasy impact across the board. Not mind boggling numbers. The six threes against Memphis is a bonus, but If he's out there, currently sitting in just under 55% of ESPN teams, you might want to consider making a move for him. If you need a big man, someone that I think, at least while uh, Ennis Cantor's out, that you might want to consider, is Daniel Tice. He, again, has seen his ownership spike with Ennis Cantor injured, and he's someone who actually I picked up in one of my fantasy leagues not too long ago. But Tice doesn't produce a hell of a lot other than rebounds and blocks. Gets a couple of points every now and then. He scored... In double digits for four straight games but with Ennis Cantor in the lineup it's going to have a bit of an impact on his production so while Kanter's sidelined you might want to take the punt on Tice who is owned in 39% of teams he's played over 30 minutes in his last three so if you need some big man help you might want to turn your attention to Tice. Radio, who should you drop now this one might be a bit of a contentious call but I think it's okay to drop Mark Gasol. Before you start panicking and uh, delete this podcast episode, just hear me out. I know Gasol is a big name and he's been obviously a champion with the Raptors and he's playing solid basketball. This year, he hasn't really lived up to expectations. He's injured again with a hamstring strain. However, this time it's a separate issue, the Raptors are saying. So he'll miss the upcoming game against Cleveland. But It's a bit uh, up in the air if he's going to miss any other time after that. But he's shooting just 42% from the field at the moment, averaging a tick under eight points and six and a half rebounds. There's a lot of coaches who have jumped off the bandwagon since he got hurt again. His ownership is sitting at about 58%. So maybe if you want to uh, add Gasol onto an IR spot, that's fine. But yeah, like I said, he hasn't really been getting it done. Averaging nearly... Uh, one and a half threes a game and a steal and a block. So by no means do you have to go and get rid of Gasol, but depending on your league size, I think he's not performing like he once was. I mean, he's 35 now. Actually, it was his birthday a couple of days ago. Happy birthday, Mark Gasol. But he's 35 now, so he's not the same player as he once was. So I think it's fine to consider ditching him. Another dude you might want to consider dropping is Damian Lee. A couple of weeks ago, he missed a few games with a contract dispute for the Warriors, but signed on with Dub Nation and then responded by going out and scoring 21 points in his next game. Pretty impressive, but uh, since that game, he has been anything but impressive. He's, in the last uh, five games, Lee is averaging just uh, 5.4 points, shooting 31% from the field. So comes as no surprise to learn that he's seen his ownership dramatically decrease. He's now earned in less than 10% of teams. So even if you are in a deep league and you cling to hope that He can contribute. He's still playing a lot of minutes as well. He's played at least 25 minutes in each of his last six games. But I'm a little bit sceptical and think it's wise to stay away from all of Golden State right now. They're all over the shop from a fantasy perspective. So go ahead and dump Damian Lee before he kills your fantasy season. That's all the basketball bits I've got. Let's quickly talk about some NFL stuff. So there's not really a lot of fantasy stuff to talk about. The Super Bowl is coming up. Uh, next Monday Australian time over the weekend in America so I'm going to do the next couple of days my uh, preview podcast and article for that which you can check out but obviously with a lot of NFL teams not in action everyone's turning their attention towards the draft now I haven't gone on a podcast to talk about Joe Burrow's championship game since he lit it up against Clemson. So just quickly, if you don't know, Joe Burrow is the quarterback of the LSU Tigers. He is going to be the number one overall pick to the Cincinnati Bengals. I don't think even if the Bengals want to try and get fancy, they're going to pass up on the chance to draft a potential franchise dude. And Joe Burrow looked everything like a franchise guy on the national championship stage. The Tigers fell down 17-7 to against Clemson and Burrow looked not shaky, I don't want to say, but that... Tigers just couldn't really find their groove and then they clicked and scored three straight touchdowns to end the half and from there Joe Burrow pretty much looked invincible. He set multiple records throughout the national championship game. He threw the most passing yards in a title game, 463. He was uh, responsible for six touchdowns in that game, threw for five and ran one in himself. That also helped him throw the most passing touchdowns in a single FBS season and the most touchdowns responsible for in a single FBS season with 64 as well. So translation from a lot of those numbers, he dominated on the big stage, he dominated all year. There's an article that I've been toying with writing for a while about how Joe Burrow maybe put up the best collegiate season of all time, from a quarterback anyway. I obviously haven't watched every season of college football, so it's tough for me to say, but I'll do a bit more research before I put that out there, but there's a chance Joe Burrow could push his way into top 10 calculations. We saw number one overall pick Kyler Murray a year ago be the eighth highest scoring quarterback from a fantasy perspective, and there's no reason why Burrow couldn't put up similar numbers in his rookie year. It would depend a little bit on what the Bengals surround him with, but they've held on to AJ Green. They said they didn't want to trade him throughout the season, even though a lot of people, myself included, thought it was a wise move to do so, so... If Burrow has a weapon like AJ Green and the Bengals can quickly retool their offense to give him a couple more uh, weapons to use and some other targets to utilize on offense, then there's no reason why Burrow couldn't be a top 10 scoring quarterback in 2020. One dude who we won't see in 2020 in the NFL from that championship game as well is Travis Etienne, a dominant Clemson running back who didn't really have the greatest championship game, but... He said he's going to return for his senior season of college football, so don't forget the name. We will be drafting him uh, highly in the 2021 season, I reckon. Similar to uh, Josh Jacobs, we could see him have a big impact in his rookie year. Obviously, it depends on how he plays in his senior season and where he lands, but I'm very high on Etienne, so remember that name. The last draft prospect that I want to talk about is Oregon Ducks quarterback Justin Herbert, who in the last few weeks and months has actually helped his draft stock rise and is looming as a potential fit with the LA Chargers. They recently, just as early as this week, said that they're going to part ways with Philip Rivers and they don't think they're going to bring the 36, 37, maybe year old quarterback uh, back to... Los Angeles, so that means they're going to be in the market for a quarterback. They could go out and try and get one in free agency, but considering they hold the sixth overall pick in the draft, I'd be surprised if they didn't try and take someone with that selection. Tua Tagovailoa would definitely be in their thinking, but Miami holds pick five, and unless someone trades up maybe with Detroit at pick three, I think they have three, maybe four, depends on where the Giants is. Uh, Either way, I don't think anyone will be trading up to grab Tua ahead of Miami, which leaves Herbert perfectly poised to join the Chargers at pick six. Now, Herbert's production has kind of divided a lot of collegiate scouts. He improved with every season that he played, but he made a big jump between his sophomore and his junior season, which led a lot of people to believe that he would declare for the draft, but stayed for his senior year at Oregon. and. Didn't really take another step up in production. He completed 7% more of his passes, so he finished the year at about 67% completion rate and threw for nearly 3,500 yards, but he probably most famously uh, captured a lot of scouting attention with his performance performance against Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl while he only threw for 138 yards doesn't sound like a hell of a lot didn't even throw a touchdown he did actually run in three uh, touchdowns with his legs ran for 29 yards on nine carries for three TDs so again doesn't sound like a hell of a lot but those runs weren't just even though it was short yardage there was a lot of designed runs for him and the Oregon team since then has said that obviously this is something that they wanted to incorporate into their offense throughout the year, why they didn't as much I don't really know, but if Herbert could show off those skill sets maybe, oh, it's tough to see where he's going to fit at the charges there's again a lot of weapons around him so I don't know if I'd love drafting him as a fantasy option, but Maybe if Carolina at the very next pick wanted to go with Herbert and move on from Cam Newton, that could happen. But again, with a lot of these guys and a lot of these fantasy rookies, it depends on where they land. But Herbert is someone that is rising in mock drafts around the country and is definitely generating a lot of buzz. So if he does land in a fantasy-friendly environment, it could be worth taking a late flyer on him in your draft close this out with some AFL Fantasy stuff. I'm not going to sit here and talk too much about AFL Fantasy. I'll probably have a couple of designated podcast episodes for AFL Fantasy in particular, but I want to talk about a couple of the deck of Dream Team pieces that I've written so far. At the moment, there's five up on the Dream Team Talk site, three still to come. I think my next one is on Monday, maybe Tuesday. I'd better check that out, but just going to spend 60 to 90 seconds talking about the dudes who i've written about and providing a little bit of my two cents so the first one that i spoke about is nick natanui it's over nearly over a month ago that i read about nick nat now and he's only priced at 471 grams so for a lot of fantasy coaches that is going to be very tempting in the ruck department there's plenty of value this year in the rucks so for that reason I think it's a little bit too risky to go with Natanui. Surprised me to learn that he's nearly in fifteen percent of teams at the moment, but that number's going to fluctuate throughout the preseason, so watch this space. But I think there are better options out there. Sam Jacobs is someone that only costs about forty grand more that I have much more faith in. Scott Lysett he's probably hundred k more than Sam Jacobs, so a pretty considerable price jump. But I think Nick Nat is a little bit too risky, and for that reason, I probably advise not starting with him. But Each to their own. Similar can be said with the next bloke I wrote about in Michael Walters. He's priced at an average of 94 after his best fantasy season of his career last year. And while I think that Walters will be a premium forward this year, don't know if paying up for him to start with is the right idea. In your fantasy starting side, obviously you want to have some of these big guns. Lucky Whitfield is someone whose ownership is right up there as one of the top handful in the league. Could see Michael Walters, again, becoming one of the top five, top four forwards in this season. But I don't know how much better he can go than the 94 average that he's priced at. He could, prove me wrong, and average 100 plus, especially if he chalks up a lot of midfield time. So we'll have to keep our ears glued to the ground to see what Justin Longmuir has in mind for Walters this season. But for now, I think we view him as more of an upgrade target rather than someone to start with. One bloke who you have to... Actually, the next two dudes, I think, you have to start with are two rookies. Firstly, looking at Malian Pickett, who made his debut in the AFL Grand Final. Everyone knows his story. It was pretty exceptional the way that he played on the big stage. Didn't look overawed at all. Had some pretty solid numbers in the Waffle and the VFL before that grand final game. And then when the Tigers helped themselves to a premiership, he went on to gather 22 touches, kicked a pretty wicked goal, and actually finished uh, third in Norm Smith voting. So plenty to like about Marlon Pickett. Priced at 170 grand. There's no reason why he shouldn't be in your starting lineup. However, I think this season, it's going to be wise to pay up for the rookies that you're going to put on your field, which transitions perfectly into talking about Matt Rao, the number one overall pick who a lot of people are linking to Sam Walsh, and he is very Sam Walsh-esque, and I do see how a lot of his skill set models Walshy, and a lot of people are talking about Matt Rau averaging 80, maybe even closer to 90, like Walsh did last year. One very important note in the article I wrote that, again, you can check all these out, at dreamteamtalk.com, I did do a little bit of digging into their numbers, and while Matt Rowell and Sam Walsh both averaged very close to 30 uh, disposals exactly in their final junior season, Walsh averaged 18 kicks and then 13 handballs, while Matty Rowell averaged about 11.5 kicks and then 18 handballs. He was a tackling machine, so that's going to help him in the big league, but... I do wonder how easy his uh, tackling skills will transition, especially with a lot of big bodies in the AFL, but regardless, I think Matty Rao will be one of the best cash cows this entire season, and even though he's priced at 270 k it's not a lot to pay up for if he's going to be a player like Walsh who can contribute for the entire 2020 season. The last bloke and the most recent guy that I talked about was Dion Prestia of the Richmond Tigers, and he's a very interesting fantasy prospect is prestia there's a kind of a couple of coaches who when i wrote the article said why would you consider prestia he's owned in less than one percent of teams he's priced at almost a bang on a hundred so how much better can he get from that mark but i think considering where richmond is in their premiership window and the fact that prestia ended the year like a freight train i think that he does have some value he Ticked over 110 uh, six times in his final 10 games. And in the second half of the season especially, Prestia averaged 108 fantasy points. And Richmond obviously won the last nine games of the regular season and then went on to win the flag. In two finals, he scored back-to-back 123s. And in the grand final, only had 74 points. But he did have 41 of them in the first quarter alone. So Prestia is going to be a very interesting one to watch. I think... How well he'll perform will depend a little bit on where Dustin Martin lines up to start the year. If Martin is in the forward line and we see him kind of reserved throughout the year and then the Richmond Tigers unleash him in the middle of the ground during finals, then that could see Prestia become a huge fantasy factor. But if Dusty is in there and Trent Cochin's healthy, then it's hard to see Prestia boosting his average up much from the 994 But he averaged a year ago, so watch this space. He's someone that you should definitely consider for your draft side. Could plug him in and he's going to play 20 to 22 games and, again, get you close to 100 points week in, week out. And that. Is all I've got for today's Fantasy Friday. Thanks once again for tuning in. I'll be back. Probably the next episode will be Super Bowl preview orientated, but I might release that on Saturday or Sunday, and then following that, I'll be doing a little bit of a wrap up, probably in the next Fast Five early next week. But uh, apart from that, thank you for listening to this episode. Till next time.